0: All right, well, last Sunday, uh, we kicked off a little four-week series we're doing um, called the Disciples Disciplines. We're talking about spiritual disciplines, and this is not discipline in the sense of you're in trouble, but they're healthy disciplines that we choose that equip us, they build us up and strengthen us. The scripture describes it as being a process that helps us grow into maturity. We become the people God's called us to be, by engaging in our relationship with him in some really practical ways. And so maturity has to do with us, um, who we're becoming, um, being secure in our identity in Christ, having a real sense of who God's called us to be, being at peace with him in the world. But maturity also carries with it the idea of being able to reproduce. And that's what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. It's not just me being discipled and then I grew and matured a little bit and hopefully I'm a little kinder and a little more loving, right? The fruit of the Spirit's being produced in my life. It doesn't just stop with me. A disciple of Jesus is someone who's also learning how to turn around and invest in the lives of others. And so... Um, there, there are a variety of spiritual disciplines that help us grow, but we're looking at four in particular, um, in these coming weeks. And so last Sunday we talked about just the centrality of God's word and really intentionally spending time in his word. And so we talked about reading it just regularly reading his word a little bit each day even and just the power of reading and it getting inside of you. Um, just, just letting his word soak into you. Then we, then we talk about not just reading his word, but meditating on it, all right? This isn't this worldly view of meditation where we empty our minds. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We use the example of a sponge. I'm absorbing God's word. And so this is where maybe we slow down a little bit. We spend time in a certain passage. We reflect on a certain attribute or characteristic of God and we just, we just soak it up. We slow down, we take it in and watch what happens. And then the third piece is studying God's word, where we do a little, little more intentional digging and understanding. Um, it, it could be, again, it could be taking a book of the Bible and just really, really studying who wrote this. What was the audience? What was going on there? What are the big themes? Looking up what words mean, using, using Bible software. Or go old school, right? Get out your Strong's Concordance and you know a good commentary in your Bible, and like use paper and a pen, you know, crazy concepts like that. But just taking time studying God's Word, all of those things are so beneficial for us. Um, don't be overwhelmed by that. Start somewhere. If you're like, man, I can't even fathom studying because I'm barely reading, then start with reading. Get consistent with it. Maybe you're pretty faithful at reading through the word, but you've never, never gone that extra step of like slowing down, just going, I'm just gonna sit and absorb this Psalm, even for a few days. I read it over and over again. I'm gonna take it in. I'm gonna see every aspect of it. I'm gonna find myself thinking about it, praying through it during the course of a day. Or maybe for you, it's like, you know what? I spend time thinking about God's word, how it impacts my life and how I can apply it. But you know, I just, I've never gone that extra step of really digging in and studying. Um, consider those things. So, All of that, all of this stuff builds on itself. And so moving from that into this morning, we're gonna talk about worship, the spiritual discipline of worship. And so let's pray one more time and invite the Lord to guide us into this. And so, Father, thank you for the time we've already spent this morning, just being in your presence and worshiping you. God, I pray that um, this would be a good reminder for us this morning, Lord, maybe it would even equip and teach us some things we we don't know or maybe we've forgotten or neglected. But Lord, ultimately, I just pray we'd catch a real vision um, for the the joy and the treasure that it is to worship you. God, you made us for this. We are designed to be worshipers. And, And for so many people that you've made, we spend our life trying to figure out what to worship. And we worship so many things that fall short. But thank you for the joy of discovering the one we were made to worship. God, invite us into this. Teach us how to worship you truly in spirit and in truth. It's in your name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so three key things we're gonna look at this morning related to worship. First and foremost, or with our starting point is seeing him seeing him, beholding him. Then secondly, it's loving him. It's, it's a heart that's open and responsive. I'm engaging in this relationship. So I see him for who he is, and now I begin to respond to him. And then the third piece is a life that serves him. It's, it's obedience, it's service. And so these three components is what we're gonna look at together. So the discipline of worship, seeing him, Seeing him is about having an engaged heart. I'm slowing down enough to really give him my time, my attention. It's not just like, oh, I hear somebody say the word, you know, God's gracious or God's merciful. And I go, check, I know that. This is really about slowing down and and seeing him, for example, as the merciful God that he is. Seeing him, recognizing it. God, what does that look like? What does that mean? And so, Kind of our backdrop this morning as we work our way through this, we're gonna look at, we will be in Revelation a bit, as I mentioned, but our primary passage this morning is in Isaiah chapter six. Old Testament example of a similar scene. Isaiah catches a glimpse of being in the presence of God. And so he kind of sees God just filling this place, this temple with, with himself and with his presence. And I believe as we kind of watch this scene unfold, we will see all three of these things kind of Taking place here. It can give us some direction on how we worship God. So let's just start very simply with Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I want you to see this. I realize for us, when we read the the year that King Uzziah died, like that might not have a whole lot of meaning to us right now. But what we need to understand is Isaiah is setting worship in its proper context. He's making it clear what the circumstances are in his life right then. Things are bad. Things are in a bad way in Israel. They are teetering on the brink of destruction. The Assyrians are on the cusp of coming and putting them under siege and ultimately taking over. And so, like, the circumstances are, we're in a mess. Things are, things are breaking down just in the basic, like, morality of the culture of God's people. The country is losing its power, its influence, its direction. It's not turned towards the Lord at all. I mean, we can't relate to this in any way. Um, it's a mess, The circumstances around them are a mess. And yet it's in the midst of this disarray. It's in the midst of these circumstances that Isaiah catches a vision for the Lord. So kind of the first question is like, what am I looking at? Isaiah doesn't ignore the present circumstances. He sees beyond them. To see the Lord high and lifted up above all the mess, still God, even in spite of the mess, He sees Him, and, and then he sees, you know it's this interesting phrase, right? Like, the train of his robe fills the temple. What's that about? God leaves, leads, leaves a glorious wake. We see Him for who He is, and then what He does follows. And so Isaiah just catches this glimpse of like God just, whoa. In the midst of all the crazy, in the midst of all the turmoil, in the midst of all the difficulty, he sees God. That's the foundation or the starting point of worship. Will I allow the Lord, who he is and what he does, will I allow the Lord to fill my vision or will I be consumed instead by the swirl around me? That's a daily choice. That's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's a daily choice. There is much in our lives that will fight for our attention. But the starting point of worship is to choose to say, God, I wanna see you. The beauty of worship is it's not dependent on just mountaintop experiences. It's not dependent upon, life's really great right now. I was at this killer worship service. The band was amazing. Therefore, I was able to worship. One of the songs we sang this morning was about some bros in prison. Paul and Silas in prison. And even in their chains, they were able to see beyond and above that to see God in his glory. So that's the starting point, to see him. And then watch what happens next, verses two and three now. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, this is what worship should be. The songs that we sing, they're focused upon who he really is like the gaze of our heart is upon him and it stirs up songs that declare he's awesome look at who he is look at what he does he's glorious and i love this it's even it's shared you know they're calling out to each other worship when we choose to worship it mutually encourages and builds us up but it's meant to be rooted in who he is they're saying god you're holy you're the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, it's just full of your glory. When I see you, then I see everything else in its proper context, is what they're saying. God, look at you, you're amazing, you're holy. And so worship should always start with God's word. That's why we started where we started last week. It, it starts with his word, and then because we're seeing him for who he really is in his word, it then enables us to see him in the world around us. We see him at work. And so we're able to recognize him in creation. We're able to recognize him in the midst of life circumstances. Some of the most powerful moments of my life have been some of the worst. But in the midst of those hard circumstances, God allowed me to get a glimpse of his faithfulness, that he was there, that I could count on him, I could rely upon him. But see, if I wasn't, if I didn't have his word in me, I wouldn't even recognize that. I'd just be overwhelmed by what's hard and difficult. But when we see him for who he is in his word, it then enables us to see him in creation. Man gets off track worshiping creation rather than the creator, because we've just missed that when I look at that tree, that mountain, that ocean, that beautiful sky, that I'm seeing him and his handiwork. And so we, we put it in its right order. The word tells me who he is and what he's like. Then I carry that with me throughout my life. And I see him in creation. I see him in circumstances. I see him in relationships. So I wanna give you a couple of examples of this in his word. Both of these are in Revelation chapter 4. This is to give us a sense of how we see him, how we behold and adore him. So the first thing we're gonna look at is in Revelation chapter four, verses eight through 11. This is a vision of God on his throne and the heavenly response to being in his presence. It's gonna sound very familiar to what Isaiah saw in Isaiah six. Check this out. Revelation four, eight through 11. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Watch what happens next. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. You see this? It starts with God is seen for who he is. I love the imagery of these angelic beings. They have eyes all around. They get to take it all in. They don't miss a thing. And every glimpse, every aspect, every nuance of who God is, it just produces in them this sense of awe. And they cry out and they worship. And then it spreads. They're encouraging one another. Then the 24 elders get in on it. They see what's happening and they go, man, any of our accomplishments, whatever we did to earn being an elder, forget that. In light of how glorious you are, God, this crown, it means nothing before you. And they willingly just lay it down at his feet and they worship. And then watch what flows. It's what I was talking about a second ago. They see him for who he is. They worship him for who he is. And then they reflect on what he's done. In this case, they're reflecting on his creation. God, look at all that you've made. Look at how you sustain what you've made. You didn't have to do this, but just out of the glory of who you are, you created. You gave life. You gave us life. You let us share in this, enjoy it. So we see him and then we see what he does. All right, another example. If you're in in your your Bible there, you can flip over a page maybe. Revelation chapter five now, verses eight through 12. This is a very specific vision. We're still in this heavenly scene, this heavenly throne room, but now they're catching a glimpse of Jesus for who he is. Um, The scene that we're picking up on is the scene of like things need to be resolved. Like there's this ongoing problem that needs to be addressed and and there's this scroll that holds all the keys and all the answers and and it it unfolds the solution to everything that's been wrong and broken. And all the people in heaven, all the the people and the angelic beings, they're, they're looking around going, man, there's no one that can do this. And then Jesus shows up. He's described as the lion. But then when they really look close, they realize, oh, he's like a lamb who was slain. We see his power and majesty, yet we see him coming in humility, sacrificially in gentleness. And so the, the, the throne room catches a glimpse of Jesus, the only one able to open the scroll. And we pick it up now in Revelation 5, verse eight. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down, uh, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus, look at you. Look at what you have done. Look at what you're doing now in us. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing. Love this. Jesus is seen and a new song is written to glorify him. This is what worship is meant to be. Rooted in the reality of who God is. Rooted in the reality of what he has done. And then response naturally flows from there. Friends, before we move on to our next point, I just wanna encourage you, our worship should start with beholding. The anchor point, it doesn't just start there like it's staying there. Do I make it a regular, consistent part of my life to stop and behold him for who he is? Just who he is. God, look at you, your faithfulness, your love, your mercy, your majesty, look at you. And then Lord, look at what you've done. And see friends, part of what's happening in this scene, they're not just saying like, Jesus, this is great. You died for everyone's sins. They're saying, look look what you've done in us. Like you, you've made me a saint, a priest. Like you've changed me, you've changed my life. And so as we see God for who he is and what he's up to, we're touched by it. You know, I couldn't help but think this week, you know, that description of like um, the train of his robe, it's the hem of his robe. And I immediately thought of of the woman with the issue of blood who'd just been stuck for years. No help, no hope, no healing. And she was able to just get a hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. And she was changed in an instant. She was healed in an instant. She saw Jesus, knew there was something about him, and said, I got to get close to that. And she caught just that hem, and her life was changed. Friends, that's worship. I wanna give you some things to consider here. Do do I regularly practice simply gazing upon God? Is there space in my life for that? To pause, to reflect, to consider him. Does scripture fill my vision with who God is? Or does just the, the everyday busyness Circumstance, chaos of life—is that what overwhelmingly fills my vision? Y'all know that—that that busyness, that anxiety, that—that that sense there's just so much stirring. Worship is the solution to that. When I, when I see Him, it just everything lines up. It doesn't—it doesn't undo the circumstances but it helps me realize he's up to something in the midst of these circumstances. What he does flows out of who he is. And so this loving God, this faithful God, this merciful God, well then guess what? He loves me. He will be faithful in my life. He will extend mercy to me in this situation. And so I, I let him fill my vision This is the foundation of worship. Number two, a loving response. A loving response, that's number two. We love him back. See, we gotta get these in the right order. If I put this first, I'm missing it. Like, no, I see him first. I see his love for me first. Now I can respond in worship and say, God, I love you back. Check this out. Isaiah six again, verses four and five in light of everything Isaiah just saw, look at this. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Friends, the, the aftershocks of this heavenly vision produced a responsive heart. The aftershocks, it was like, whoa, God, that's who you are? I mean, that, that shakes us, but like in a good way. We need to be shaken awake sometimes. <laughs> it shakes us in a good way. It helps us see him for who he really is. And Isaiah begins to realize like, it, it puts his own life in its proper perspective. God, things have been off here. No wonder stuff's such a mess. None of these people are worshiping you, but like, I'm not worshiping you. Things have been out of of sorts, out of line. And God, by looking at you, now I can worship. It realigns me with a proper view of you. Therefore, I see myself in a more accurate light. This is worship. Seeing God in his proper place, and then I'm able to see myself in my proper place. Flawed and loved. Flawed and loved. I can can look at myself honestly in that context. If I'm only seeing myself as flawed, I'm missing it. But you know, one of the ways um, portions of, of the church are dealing with people not able to to look at how they're flawed is we just ignore that part and just say you're loved. Like that's the solution somehow. No, the beauty of our God is both can be held together at once. I can see honestly that I am a broken person in need, but I can also see fully that God loves me, that the lamb was slain to redeem me. I don't have to pretend or ignore or hide or even say some of that stuff isn't sin, that is. In fact, the most freeing thing is is the honesty of being humble and saying, God, here's who you are. Here's who I am. I'm broken. I'm wounded. I'm sinful. I'm a mess, but you love me. And I let him realign things. And so I, I take what I've seen and then I can respond in love. I wanna give you an example of this. Jesus talked about this, a responsive life of worship. Jesus gives us the greatest commandment. It's not new, in fact. He's quoting an old commandment from the Old Testament. There's a few places in scripture that, that give a sense of this scene, but we're gonna take a look at this in Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 28 through 31. Uh, in the midst of a conversation with some religious leaders, a scribe stands up in verse 28, and it says, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right, so you see number one, seeing God for who he is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Number two, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He said, then the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. We'll come back to the neighbor portion here in a minute, but Jesus' command is to worship and he describes it like this. See God for who he is. Love him fully, completely. Have an open, responsive life. Love him in all the ways you've been made with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your strength. Love him back. In other words, fully engage your life with responsive worship. Fully engage your life. We get examples of this all throughout the scripture, just ways that we can engage our full selves in worship. And so I wanna take a few minutes and actually actually walk through some of these. The scripture describes ways that engage us. They engage our mind. By engaging our mind, they also engage our heart because we let this truth of who God is and worshiping and sink down in us. We engage our bodies in worship. We're a full and complete being. And so we engage ourselves in worship. Here's some biblical descriptions of worship. How we have a responsive, loving heart. We sing. We sing. There's one verse listed there, but it's all through scripture. We sing out to him. We just saw an example of it. Even a new song. I love like on Sunday mornings that sometimes we're singing brand new songs we've never heard before. There's times where these guys are just stirred up and they write, they write a new song or they discover one someone else has written and they bring it and we share in it together. A new song that, that stirs up and we reflect on him. I also love singing those old faithful songs. They've been around for a while. It's just such a good reminder of the depth and power and truth of God. We sing, we shout Psalm 95, one, we shout. I love that. Like, Talk about worship, like that's a real response to to, I'm excited about something. This goes beyond just, oh, that's great. Sometimes it deserves a shout. Something is so good. It's like, yes. Sadly, most of the time when shouts come out out of me, it's during like a sporting event that I'm really into and something good happens. It's like, yes, we made the shot. We shout, we clap. Psalm 47, one. I love this, laughing and joy is an example of worship. I want you to see this, Psalm 126, verses one through three. This is a song of ascents. It begins verse one, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Like we had dreamed that he would come through for us and look what he just did. Verse two, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Verse three, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. We're glad. Listen, sometimes we're in seasons where life's just hard and there's like this dream out there we're hoping for and it hasn't happened yet. And then there's times where God shows up and the thing we've been longing for, hoping for, dreaming about, it comes to pass. Worship is the right response. Joy, laughter, delight. God, look at this. One of the things that was, it was funny to me, and I knew it was gonna happen in advance when Ashley got home last week after being gone for months and some people gathered at the airport and we're seeing her and we're celebrating. Like, it's just a joyful moment, right? She's back. She'd been gone for five months. You know what everybody did? They cried. <laughs> but it was tears of joy. Like, see, that's, that's real laughter and real joy because I've gotten through the hard stuff. The joy is more real. It's anchored in something real and powerful. It's not a fake joy. It's not, I'm gonna go to church and pretend like everything is okay and put on the little happy mask and sing joyful songs to Jesus. No. Say, I see life for what it's really like. I recognize the difficulties I I have faced and I will face. And yet sometimes I'm just choosing in faith to sing out. And then at other moments, I recognize, God, you've come through after all this time, after all this difficulty, after this crazy long season. God, you have brought me through. You have been faithful. And I respond in joy. And I can even laugh and go, wow, God, look what you've done. Leaping for joy is another example. Lifting hands Some of this is big and it's expressive, right? Shouting, clapping, singing, laughing. And then there's bowing down and kneeling. There's musical instruments. I am not gifted to use musical instruments, but I'm grateful I can be in places where other people are. We glorify them with our gifts, with our abilities, musical instruments, dancing. We dance in worship. I got a beautiful picture of this recently. Jen, I don't want to embarrass you by any means, but like um, my daughter has the joy of being a part of uh, Jen's dance company and worship is a part of the whole thing. And so we got to go to their spring recital and the whole recital was a reflection on creation. And all of the dances were rooted in the God who creates. Seeing light come in darkness seeing the way God makes beauty out of chaos, watching life spring forth. And I was just like, this is worship. And like Micah, my little guy, y'all know Micah, right? He sings out loud every Sunday. He knew a couple of the songs in that show. And he's like, he was ready to have a, a worship service. Like he, his hands were up, he was getting loud. We're like, hey buddy, I think most of the parents just kind of want to watch the, but he's, he, he recognized it for what he was. He's like, dude, we're worshiping right here. It's time to sing, it's time to respond. We dance, we sing, we bow. These these actions are powerful because they help us engage our full selves. It's, It's really hard to actively sing, clap, raise hands, engage my body and not find that my mind and my heart and my emotions start to get in line. They come along. Or do I just sit and wait? Well, maybe one day I'll feel like worshiping. No, let me see him for who he is and let me engage. Let me respond. Let me express love back to him. And watch what he does in my life, in my heart. Some things to consider on this section. I want you to consider, do I give expression to worship? Do I give expression? What are practical ways that I do this? Do I give a loving response that engages my full self? I want you to consider how can I grow in my worshipful response to Jesus? A really great way to answer that question. Which thing on that list am I really uncomfortable with? The scripture describes one aspect of worship as a sacrifice of praise, Will I allow him to stretch me? That very thing I'm nervous about or uncomfortable with, or I think looks weird when other people do it. If it's biblical, I'm not talking about stuff that's not in scripture. I'm saying this is biblical stuff. God says, this is what worship looks like. What if I took a step and did that? What might happen in my heart? What might be open and just a new way to worship him and respond to him? I wonder. I wonder. All right, thirdly, we see him, we love him. Now we serve him. Watch this, verses six through eight, Isaiah chapter six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. The way, the way we serve him, the way we respond to him, like it's, it's simple. It, it can look a lot of different ways in our lives practically, but it's really simple. I repent and obey. Those are, those are both, they're really the same act. They're like two sides of the same coin. Sometimes my response to him is, Lord, as I've, I've, as I've beheld you and I've began to worship you, I'm recognizing your love for me and I'm choosing to respond to you in love. What, I, what I've actually already done is I've turned to look at him. And then in that moment I can say, God, I realize I've been off track. And so I repent. There's an opportunity for a fresh start, I repent. And then the other side of the coin, it's just obedience. Sometimes worship isn't about, I've been neglecting anything or anything's wrong. I'm walking with the Lord. He loves me. I'm not perfect, but like I'm walking with him. Things are good, but I'm worshiping. I'm responding to him. And I recognize, God, there's some ways I can obey you. I can walk with you. I can live this out. I can serve you with my life. Serving God is meant to flow from a worshipful heart. At times it'll be an act of repentance. At times it'll be just aligning my life in obedience to him but our service, our obedience, it's meant to be rooted in worship. And so it's third. Look back to Jesus' command. Look what flows from a worshiper's heart, right? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you love your neighbor as yourself. See, now it's put into action. Now it's put into practice. What is my life looking like as I'm engaged in the world around me? A life of worship. I love, I serve. And I love the way Jesus sees these. He sees them as one. He says, there's no commandment greater than these. He sees it connected. I see God for who he is. My heart response is love and worship and adoration. And then my life serves and loves. It flows naturally out of it. Jesus links them together. Friends, true kingdom service is simply love and action. It's simply love and action. That's that's worship, that's service, love and action. And what that does is it enables my whole life to be an act of worship. Now, as I'm going about my day, I'm honoring God at my job. I'm worshiping him as I love and serve my family. Am I mopping floors today? Cool. I'm glorifying God while I mop those floors. Maybe I'm singing to him while I mop those floors. Maybe I'm just saying, hey God, I'm gonna do this well to honor you. But all of, all of life becomes worship. It gives meaning, it gives purpose to all we say and do. Suddenly a random hard Wednesday, just raising three kids at home is filled with heavenly purpose. God, look at these creations that you've made. Right now they're driving me crazy. Why'd you do that? no, look at these beautiful creations you gave. God, they're, they're a reflection of you, of your glory, of your handiwork. You've trusted me to love them. You've trusted me to point them to you. Well, God, I, I want my heart to point to you and then I can love and serve them. See, it, it fills all of our activity with purpose and all of life becomes worship. I, I wanna close with a word of warning, Okay word of warning. And it's because it's so easy to take all three of these things and get them backwards. And three really good things that are a part of worship, when they're out of order, it can become a trap. It can become legalistic. It can become something that just gives me shame I can slip into trying to earn God's favor. And so I want, I want us to, to see how it's important that we follow the, the order God gave us. See him, respond in love, live a life of service. Here's the warning. Still in the book of Revelation, chapter two, verses two through four. This is a letter to the church at Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my namesake, and you've not grown weary. Do you hear all the good? You've worked hard, you've endured, you're holding to sound doctrine, you're living a holy life. You got all this work and service in order. Verse four, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus says, beware that you don't get this out of order. He's not looking for us to do all the stuff to earn something, to prove something, to be something. He says, I'm after your heart. That's it. I love you. I invite you to have healthy, loving, intimate relationship with me. And that service, that stuff, it'll flow naturally out of that. It'll take care of itself. See, this is the contrast. The wrong order is, okay, I need to serve God. I need to get things right. I need to be more obedient. I better repent. I gotta do the stuff. Okay, I did all that. Now I better love him. So, okay, God, I kind of started doing some stuff right. Now I'm loving you. I'm loving you. Do you love me? Are we good? And it's like, I do the stuff to show my love to somehow be good enough to earn or receive his love. Every form of false religion worships like that. That's what pagan worship is. Let me do stuff, do the right things in the right order at the right time to appease God or the gods or the universe or fill in the blank. It's pagan worship. Let me do the stuff to make God be okay with me. True worship is the exact reverse opposite because it's rooted in God's grace. He has loved us. Can we see that? Can I behold him and see his love for me? And then I can observe and receive and respond to him. And then out of that will flow a life that aligns itself in obedience. Are we getting that? Does that make sense? Are you like me? Do you ever get these out of order? I do. It's crazy how much I can slip into that. Even after years of walking with the Lord, I can do that. We do not worship to earn or receive anything. We worship to enjoy God for who he is and what he's done. His love towards us. We reflect on it. We observe it. We take it in and then we love and adore him back. And then we will find our lives aligned properly with him. And all of life then becomes worship. I want that. More and more, I want my life to be defined like this. I want my life to look this way. So my prayer for us this morning is wherever we may find ourselves, that we would recognize that the discipline of worship is is a loving invitation It's God saying, hey, I've made you for something and it's it's good and it's gonna enrich and benefit your life. Come be with me, come see me. Don't believe what you've heard about me, come and see me for who I really am. How often we get ripped off because God has been misrepresented in the world and then we aren't able to see him for who he really is. One of the most heartbreaking things for me as a pastor is just that sober sense of like, God, may may my life, may our church not misrepresent you. And, And we all will to an extent, like we all fall short. And I've experienced people who have let me down and I'm certain I have let probably even some of you down. My hope is that we can all see him for who he really is and learn to treasure him and enjoy him and worship him and watch what happens when we do. That spreads. We saw it spread in Isaiah and Revelation. It spread. It produced life, encouragement, joy. That's a life of worship. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for what you've done. And Lord, I pray this morning that what we hear is an invitation to behold you, to to build into the rhythms of our life, consistent time to pause and consider you, to recognize you in the scripture, to see you at work in the world around us, to see you at work in our own lives, in our own homes. And God, as we, as we practice this, seeing you for who you really are, Lord, that we'd watch just this, this love relationship that you're inviting us into grow and produce fruit, a life that is aligned properly with you because you're king and I'm not, and I know it and I live like it, and it produces much fruit. God, may we be worshipers we love you. We invite you just to, to shine your light that convicts, not to shame us, but to bring us into health and wholeness. God, if there's any aspect of our lives where we have been a little off track here, would you help us to see it and then respond properly to your loving correction? It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.